We've been in the Gospel of Mark, and we've been tracking through that for the last, this is the third week we're in it, and uh, we haven't got too far because we're still in Mark chapter 1. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Mark 1 verse 40, and we're going to go a little bit further. But we're finding in this Gospel just the rapid pace which it moves at. It's just a immediacy type Gospel. There's just things happening at every moment, at every corner. There's just life bursting forth. It's a gospel that's vivid in its description. We see as we come to it, there's graphic, striking phases that paint a mental picture. But not only is it giving us a picture of that which is taking place, there's also something of Jesus being revealed and his reactions and his gestures. There's something we catch of who he is. And it's a beautiful thing today because we're looking at the king who cares, the story of the leper who approached Jesus. And I want to just take a few moments to read um, just a story that comes from someone who had researched leprosy by the name of John Mays, and he just describes what it might have been like for someone in that moment. And so I want us to be drawn into that story. That's my mother misbehaving in the front row. I'm a son who cares and is compassionate. This is the story. He knew something was wrong, very wrong. But he hoped that if he waited long enough, it would just go away. But it didn't. In fact, it only got worse. Soon others started to notice that he looked pale and sickly. He realized that he'd have to take a journey to a faraway city to have someone examine him. After several days, he reached the city and he made his way to a room where he had never been before to meet someone who he had never met before. And after what seemed like several hours, the door opened and a man wearing a uniform entered. The man examined the stranger and the stranger says, it's here as he rolls up his sleeve and reveals an open sore. Again, he said, it's here as he slipped his collar to the side exposing another oozing sore. It's here too as he unbuckled his sandal to show a pus-filled nodule on the top of his foot. And with that, the priest jumped back with a wild look in his eyes. And he said, I declare that you are unclean. Now hear the words of the law. A leper must wear torn clothes. His hair must be unkept. And everywhere he goes, he must cover his mouth. And he must shout out, unclean, unclean. He shall live alone, and his dwelling shall be outside the camp. May God have mercy on your soul, he said, as he shut the door and exited the room. The man's worst nightmare had just come true. As he slowly picked himself up, he stood there in that dark room for several minutes in a state of shock. Then with determination, he started ripping his favorite robe, that his wife had made for him. Then he bent down and gathered some dust and rubbed his face and he rubbed his hair until he looked like a wild man. When he stepped outside in the brightness of the sun, he slowly covered his mouth and with his hand he choked out the dreaded words, unclean, I'm unclean. And for the first time in his life, people grimaced and recoiled from him. A mother quickly grabbed her child and said, don't go near that man, stay away from him. 
A vegetable vendor picked something up and threw it at him and said, get away from here. Quickly he made his way outside of the city into the open countryside. He started heading for home. But the worst was yet to come because he could no longer have contact with his wife and children. When his wife saw him coming in the distance, she and the children ran to their father with joy and excitement, only to hear him groan and say, keep away from me. I am no longer your father, I am a leper. The man's health went downhill quickly. He was covered from head to toe with a sickly stench that took one's breath away. He started decomposing and the odor of death poured out of every pore. The word leprosy means scaly. In the Old Testament, that word means to rot. And that's what was happening. Luke, the doctor Luke in Luke 5.12 says he was full of leprosy. This wasn't at the starting stages. This was full blown. He was filled with leprosy or covered with it. He was a dead man walking. He barely looked human. He was isolated. He was unwanted. The law said he wasn't even allowed to come into proximity of other people. He had to stay at a distance. And if the wind was blowing, he'd even have to move further off. If he had had a sign or a label or a banner about him, it would have said unclean, unwanted, unworthy, unloved, untouchable. And this is where we encounter the king who cares. Mark 1 verse 40 to 45. And a leper, speaking of this man, and a leper came to him, begging him and falling on his knees before him, saying, if you are willing, you are able to make me clean. And he was moved with compassion. Jesus was moved with compassion. I want us to take a moment just to look at what that means before we come back to the story and see the outworking. In a university in Michigan, they did a study amongst 14,000 college students to try and ascertain what are our empathy levels. It was done between 1979 and 2009, and what they found was that there was a drastic decline in the empathy that people had, the care that people had for others. They actually said that in the, from the 1980s till 2009, and we're in 2017, so how much further has it got, that there was a 40% reduction in how much people cared. That's radical. When they try to research why, part of it was because they said that people had become more obsessed with themselves, more caught up with self-gratification, more caught up with me, myself, and I. It's the, the age of selfies and social media and Instagram and Facebook. They say that with those things, 80% of what you put up there is all about me. It's do you like my picture? Do you like my post? Do you like what I said? Are you commenting so that I can feel good about myself? Actually, if you look at it, they say that when you do get one of those posts, there's something that clicks in us from your mind. It's a release of a chemical called dopamine. And what it does is it gives you a slight buzz. And so when you're on Facebook and you see a comment or something that you like, this, this dopamine is released in association with yourself, and it's actually training us to be self-centered. Now, please, I'm not judging social media. I'm on social media. I had someone delete their Facebook in the message in the first service. How are you going to say it was a good message if you did that? You catch my humor. 
but there is this self-centeredness. Another reason is that it causes us to call to care less because we've been overwhelmed by the exposure of what we see on screens. There's no reality to it, so it's been desensitized to us. How many crying children have we seen? How many terrible scenes from the Middle East? Middle East? How many terrorism moments have we seen that first would have moved us, but now have little impact? They say on the feeds, if you are on Facebook, as I mentioned I am, you'll see one post saying there's this amazing new diet and you can lose weight. The next post will say there's this amazing new vehicle that you should have. The next post will say, I had a lovely day. Look how much I love my wife and kids and everything else. And then the next post will show someone being beheaded in the Middle East. And it's hard to differentiate the importance because they've all been given the same landscape on Facebook. And you just go from one to the next to the next. And so it's just, we're being removed from the reality. A lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. Can I say that again? A lack of personal interaction makes it easier not to care. I love what Craig Rochelle said. He said, caring is not clicking. Caring is acting. We need to realize that caring is not liking a post. Caring is loving a person. There's something that takes place when we get this, that something moves within us if we truly care, that moves in us, but out of us, beyond us, to impact somebody else's life. It's not just all about me and the luxury, the safety, and the comfort of where I might be living. I want to say you can live like that, but you need to realize if you do that you haven't encountered and are not living out the compassion of Jesus. You might have pity, you might have sympathy, at best it might be empathy that you feel for them, but where there's compassion, something takes place. There's an action that's attached to it. We're going to see that in just a moment. Because what compassion demands is action. It's the Greek word. Let me take a moment to pronounce it right. Splachnitsomai. Repeat it for me, Rich. Splachnitsomai. Apologize if I'm spitting. It means this. It means to have the bowels yearn. Something takes place deep within you. There's an ache inside. And these days, we say we are moved in the heart. But in those days and in that culture, it was the deepest part of them. They said something in the gut, something in my gut is moved. Something's happening. Something's taking place. Something's having an effect on me. It's changing my composition, my constituency. Something is having an effect in me. Compassion is taking place. We need to get this. Compassion is not an emotion. It's an action. Compassion is not an emotion. It's an action. And it's something that demands action. And what I love is this. Whenever you see Jesus... Whenever you see that he was moved by compassion, and we see it throughout the Gospels, whenever you see that or hear that phrase, action takes place. I want to encourage you as you take out the Gospels to read through them, if you see Jesus and a statement saying he was moved by compassion, that's the moment to get the popcorn, the Coke, to safety belt yourself into your IMAX seat so that you can put on your 3D glasses because something is going to happen because when Jesus was moved by compassion, he moved. When he felt it, He acted, and when he acted, the kingdom broke out and manifested itself. And it's amazing as you read the Gospels to see how fine-tuned Jesus was to people's emotions, to their frustrations, to the emptiness, to the fears they had, the disappointment, and the shame. Jesus was fine-tuned to pick out that. In the midst of a crowd, 
people gathered all around, he would be going and pick out exactly where people's hearts were at. And compassion would move him. And the activity of heaven would take place. It's an amazing thing to see. I, I love what this one man, Brennan Manning, says. He was a priest. He's passed away now. But he was kicked out of the priesthood because he had been in the war, experienced something horrific. And in the priesthood, loving God, he had this addiction to alcohol that he couldn't break. And he felt unworthy and he was kicked out and he was drinking, walking the streets of San Francisco. And one day he fell down, he, his face to the pavement, and he thought, this is the end. They said you won't, they, when they checked him out, they said he wouldn't have lived a day longer. But with his face on the pavement thinking, this is the end, the end I'm a failure. He said, that's where I encountered the Jesus of my journey. Amen. I want to say Jesus is wanting to journey with you and me. And no matter how far we might think we are removed, something of his compassion causes him to act and arrive on the scene, no matter where you might find yourself, no matter your situation and circumstance, no matter whether you think it's dark and grim, no matter if you feel you're in a closed door and legalism and religion have slammed the door on you and said you are unclean and you are unworthy and you need to get out, I want to say Jesus will put you up in that room. Amen. Compassion will move him. Action will take place. Heaven will break out. We see it all through the Gospels. And this is what this man, Brennan Manning, encountered of the compassion of Jesus. He said, when it says that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying that his gut was wrenched, his heart was torn open, and the most vulnerable part of his being was laid bare. The ground of all being shook. The source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of his relentless tenderness was laid bare. That's what happens when we encounter the compassion of Jesus. And we're seeing here a moment which we're talking about encountering the king who cares, and encountering the king of cares means this, when the heart cry emerges, he is always there. To meet you. We're going to see that in a moment. In his care, he hears the cry. And so we see this leper in his misery. We're told like, that men like him had to stand at a distance. We saw the same in Luke 17 verse 12 in the story of the ten lepers. But in Mark 1 verse 40, it says that this, this leper, this outcast, who wasn't allowed to come in the vicinity of Jesus and crowds, it says he came to him, he came to Jesus and begged him on his knees. Luke adds that he fell on his face. Matthew says that he came and worshipped him, falling before him face down. He came through the crowd. Can you imagine this if you go back to the story? He was stumbling. He was in full-blown leprosy, it said. He wouldn't have been able to feel his fingers, his feet. He wouldn't have had balance. He's probably lost toes. And he's stumbling through the crowd. And they would have gasped in horror as they saw him, as they recognized him. Because they say a man like who had leprosy would start to have the appearance of a lion. Because everything starts to droop and hang. And he would have made his way. And there would have been a stench about him. But there was courage in his heart to come to Jesus. There was courage in his heart to come to the one that he had heard was compassionate, but hadn't met yet. And so he starts to make his way through the crowd with humility in his heart, with a reverence for who Jesus is. Yet even having a reverence for who Jesus is, he had no respect for the religion that would restrain him and hold him at arm's length and say, you have no place here, because he could hear the beckoning of grace that was calling him beyond any wall that stood in opposition. He was breaking down the walls. 
And he says, if you're willing, you can make me clean. On his knees, face down, to the Jesus who would become the Jesus of his journey. You see, he didn't know him yet. He knew he had the power. If you're willing, you can make me clean. He knew the power, but he didn't know the person of Jesus that was on journey with him. But it's a beautiful moment as he's about to discover that. If you're willing, you can make me clean. So we see that there's this cry that emerges and there's this compassion which responds. The second point, that in his care, he's moved by compassion. While everyone else reviled and was repulsed and pulled back, Jesus was moved to engage by compassion. Other versions say he was filled with compassion. As we've said, it means he was gripped deeply in the deepest parts of who he was. In his gut, he was moved because he felt the agony. He felt the isolation. He felt the judgment. He felt the shame. He felt the condemnation that this man was carrying. Something in him felt that and didn't just stand back to watch that or say, I feel sorry for that or I pity that. Something in him acted. And the action that took place is this. If we continue to read in that verse, it says Jesus moved with compassion. Jesus reached out with his hand and touched him and said, I am willing, be clean. The action of compassion. We see Jesus is always filled with compassion. Mark 6.33 said he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. You see, he didn't want to just be at a distance. He didn't want to just put some text up on a screen. He didn't just want to send a little video post. He didn't want to send the angels to declare it. But Jesus came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He came in the flesh because out of compassion, out of action, he moved out of heaven, moved into the neighborhood, went up to the need to touch and engage. And he's still wanting to touch and engage. Because there are some of us here who might be feeling like lepers. Where habits and sin and behavior and patterns have locked us into ways where we feel isolated, disfigured. We feel everything we touch is defiled. And we feel shame and we feel cast out. And Jesus is wanting to come in as he hears your heart cry. And he's wanting to touch, to shift you into a new place of knowing what it means to be a new creation in him. Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. They say that basic expression of of touch communicates such love and comfort. I can attest to this because, uh, um, you know, I was sharing in the first service that a moment came in the worship and I was just enjoying it and I just wanted to run my hands through my hair and I realized there's none there. (laughs) It was a sobering moment. And so this, uh, this, on Saturday, I went to the barber and I said to him, you know, I want a blade one and a half on the sides and two on top. He said, you got nothing on top. I said, I want a blade one and a half all the way around, which he did. Um, it's a Pakistani barber and I really enjoy going to him. Uh, but, but there is a moment when I remember some Facebook feeds and what's happening in the Middle East when he puts the blade because he does the <laughs> on my Adam's apple and I stop breathing. I don't want it to move. The last time I was there, I was in a bit of shock because my wife walked in with a big, bold American accent and started speaking to everyone while I've got a razor blade. And I'm thinking, Leanne, don't you know what's happening in the world around Americans? But this time, when he had the blade to my neck, 
He put his hand on my shoulder. Seriously, I'm not joking. I think he saw I looked a little bit pale and sickly like in the store. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he gave it a squeeze. And let me tell you, I felt a little bit of compassion and settled as he, as he did what he did. But touch does communicate that. I really want to encourage you. It really does. And Jesus reached out his hand and he touched the man. This wasn't a tentative touch. This wasn't just a little soft put my hand on your shoulder because I don't know where to lay it as I pray for you, and so I just, I just tap your shoulder. It says that Jesus, when he reached out and touched the man, it says he stretched out his hand, and the meaning of the language, it would have meant he fastened or he adhered to him when he took hold of him. There was something about him where he's saying, I'm not just going to touch and be a little bit wary and afraid. He says, I'm taking hold of you. In your muck, in your mire, in your pain, in your isolation, in your hurt, in your leprosy, in whatever you might be feeling, I'm taking hold of you. And you're going to find yourself held in the grip of grace and the grasp of his greatness. And something in him where he had felt nothing before because he was deadened. Something in him in the deepest part came alive. Because the king of kings and the king who cares was moved by compassion into action. To take hold of him so that he'd never be the same again. We'll see the outworking of that in just a moment. But Jesus loves to touch people where there's felt need. Mark 1 verse 31, it speaks about Jesus taking a girl's hand and lifting her up and healing her. Mark 5 41 does the same to a dead girl. Takes hold of her, lifts, it up, lifts her up, says get up. Mark 7.33, once again. Mark 8.23, Mark 9.27, Mark 10.16. I cannot read it enough. Jesus loved to reach out with the touch of tenderness, yet with a grip of greatness, take hold of people to see them become who they're called to be. He wouldn't leave them where they were. He raised them up into the fullness of life. And here's the key thing. No one was allowed to touch a leper. You've heard it said before. I've said it. Rich has said it. You're going to hear it again. We love saying it. We say that in the Old Testament, the Old Covenant, when you touched a leper, you became unclean. But in a new creation reality, in terms of what Jesus has brought in, we get to know that when you touch the leper, they become clean. It's a beautiful, powerful statement, but I didn't really recognize the fullness of it until I was reading through the one commentary, and it said there was, allowed, there was a person who was allowed to touch a leper in the Old Testament. It was the high priest. He would only tell, he would check the person out, and when he looked clean, if he had been a leper, but suddenly he was clean again, he would then touch him and say, you're clean. But the beauty of this moment, as you pay attention to it, is the great high priest of the new covenant, the new creation reality, steps in when he's unclean and says, I'm taking hold of you, now you're clean. Yeah. And sometimes we get intimidated because we think if we come before God, we have the wrong picture of who he is because we know that he's able, but is he willing? And we come before him and we're afraid that he's going to start to pick out our shame and our embarrassment and everything that's marked and tainted and splattered onto us. And so we're afraid to come to him because we're afraid he's going to say, you are still unclean, you are untouchable. But when you come to Jesus, no matter where you're at, no matter where you've been, no matter what's on you, no matter what's happened around you, he is willing to lay his hands on you and declare you to be clean. And when he declares you to be clean, because he is willing and able, then you walk. Not only healed, but clean, washed spiritually, emotionally, physically. Every aspect of you is brought into wholeness. Amen. 
Verse 22, and immediately the leprosy left him. I love that. This is a gospel of immediacy we see in this book of Mark. We see that it's mentioned over 40 times, the immediacy of what's taking place. 11 times in this chapter alone. What, the amount of times it's mentioned in this book, the gospel of Mark, is more than in the whole New Testament. Something needs to get hold of you and me that we're expecting God in the midst of ordinary everyday life, as Cutty and Julian were reminding us, to expect the divine interruptions that God can bring. And so we see this happening. It was an immediate moment for him. We see that out of his cry, the king who cares has heard his cry. The king who cares has been moved in compassion. And now the king who cares isn't going to leave him where he was, but he's going to commission him with a purpose and a mission going forward. And so he, he's with Jesus and Jesus says this to him in verse 43 after he's been healed. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once. He thrust him, it was saying, he's thrusting him out of the crowd. He's saying, I've, there's something that's taken place in you and now you've got a mission, you've got a purpose, you've got to be about it. You need to be getting in line with it so you can move forward in the assignment I have for you. And so we see this taking place and it's strong wording that's been used here. He was charged sent out. It's the same wording that was used of Jesus earlier in the same chapter when the Holy Spirit sent him out into the desert, sent Jesus out on assignment, sent him on mission, sent him into his purpose, sent him into his ministry. And it's the same word that's being used here as the leper is being sent forth. No longer a leper, should I say. And then in verse 44, Jesus says to him, see that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Because they would have known, the priests would have known that only the Messiah can heal leprosy. But this guy can't. You know, he's got this commission. He's been authorized and deputized with this message. And he's starting to think as the law of Leviticus would have said, I don't want to go to the high priest to get a letter telling me I'm clear of what he said I had before. Because I know what I'm free of. I know who I am. I know that what he declared of me is no longer true. I am not unclean. I am not unwanted. I am not unworthy. I am not unloved. I am not untouchable. I am not exiled. But I am clean, wanted. I have worth. I'm loved. I'm in community. I'm a son and I have identity. I don't need a piece of paper to tell me that. I know it from my inside out. And so I'm going to go and share it because I've cried out and I've encountered his compassion and I've been commissioned and I've got a message and I'm going to publicize it and share it ablaze, as the King James says, that he goes forth to do. Maybe you're here and you felt like that leper did in that story that I read. I want to say the king who cares, his heart of compassion is individually for you here this morning. Maybe you're here and you've, you've known that in years gone by and you've known his compassion and you've known his grace but you've just rested in that. I want to tell you it's a season where compassion needs to move us to action. It's a season that we need to know the commissioning and the going forth. And as we do that and as Julian and Katia so wonderfully reminded us, compassion is going to interrupt your life. 
If you're wanting to live like Jesus did, just look how many times he was interrupted. If you're wanting to be a Christian, Christ and a little anointed one of the one who was anointed, walking, living out how he lived, knowing that Christ in you is the hope of glory. If you want to live on assignment and on a mission, knowing that you've been anointed and appointed, you've got a calling on your life. If you're wanting to be a demonstration of the grace, the compassion, the kindness, the tenderness of the heart of Jesus, then I want to say this, when you move in compassion, because it's an action, not an emotion, you are going to be interrupted in your everyday life. Are you up for interruptions? Not too many of us. Not only will you be interrupted, but I want to say compassion is costly. It's going to cost you. Cost Jesus. Can be messy. But compassion changes lives. And often the life that has changed the most is yours. I remember my father going into a grade one a time for Grandparents Day. And my, I think my daughter and my nephew Simon was there. And he went in and I think he was feeling the pressure because he had to laboriously look at all their artworks. And so he went and he was looking at these grade one paintings. And in that moment he started to realize, because when you're on mission you realize... When you're on mission, you're alert. You're sober and you're vigilant. And he was in this this grade one room looking at the artwork and he started to realize there were other grade one children there that never had grandparents. Sitting there with their artwork to show. Many were oblivious. The compassion is on assignment. And so he went and he started to sit with these other kids and ask them about their art and they would share and their eyes would light up and they would feel someone's interested in me and my work and he, he, he took time to show compassion and I want to say those kids' lives were changed in that moment. But I want to say more than that, my father's life was changed. Because he never went to a grandparents' day the same. He was a man on mission. Compassion, you're going to find your life interrupted. It can be costly. It can be messy. Because you're engaging with the hurt of this world. But I want to tell you, you've been given all of heaven's authority to do so. Are you going to sit back and be content with less? Or are you saying, Lord, I want to be on the front lines. I want to be in the thick of it. I want to be right. I want to be where it's hurting, Lord. Because that's the most exciting place to be. Wherever his compassion was engaged, action took place. Whenever the compassion of the living God is at work within your life and you're stepping out in obedience, the activity of heaven, the electricity of heaven is going to be all over those moments. I want to play you a clip. The compassion of Jesus is the compassion of Almighty God. And Jesus says to your heart and mind tonight, don't ever be so foolish as to measure my compassion for you in terms of your compassion for one another. Don't ever be so silly as to compare your thin, pallid, wavering, moody, dependent on smooth circumstances, human compassion with mine, for I am God as well as man. When you read in the Gospels that Jesus was moved with compassion, it is saying his gut was wrenched, his heart torn open, the most vulnerable part of his being laid there. The ground of all being shook the source of all life trembled, the heart of all love burst open, and the unfathomable depths of the relentless 
tenderness was laid bare. Your Christian life and mine don't make any sense unless in the depth of our beings we believe that Jesus not only knows what hurts us, but knowing seeks us out, whatever our poverty, whatever our pain. His plea to his people is come now wounded, frightened, angry, lonely, empty, and I'll meet you where you live. And I love you as you are, not as you should be, because you're never going to be as you should be. Do you really believe this? That with all the wrong turns you made in your past, the mistakes, the moments of selfishness, dishonesty, and degraded love, do you really believe that Jesus Christ loves you? Not the person next to you, not the church, not the world, but that he loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness beyond fidelity and infidelity. That he loves you in the morning sun and the evening rain without caution, regret, boundary, limit, no matter what's gone down, he can't stop loving you. This is the Jesus of the Gospels. Lord, I pray for us as a house. Lord, I pray that we would be a house where people would run to when they are hurting. That people would run to when they are needing to know the gracious one the compassionate one. Lord, I want to repent on behalf of this house where we have maybe sometimes been the religious restriction, restraint that has held up hands, that have said, you cannot come here because you are not worthy. I pray, Lord, that you would give us such a battle cry from the one who is worthy to declare that people can come here to find their lives touched and changed. I thank you, Lord, this would be a house of grace. I thank you, Lord, this would be a house of life. I thank you, Lord, this will be a house of the gospel, of the good news, of the immediacy of what's happening because that people are encountering the life of the king. I pray that you would make us such heralds and proclaimers and declarers of that truth. And I pray, Lord, that none of us would leave this place as spectators or consumers, but, Lord, something would shift and we would leave this place as special forces and people on assignment carrying the compassion of Jesus from the heart of the Father with all of the authority and backing of heaven to see the outworking of that. I pray, Lord, that it might be an exciting time for the city of Durban when people are armed with the immediacy of the King and the Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.